This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome in, Saints fans, Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak getting you ready for Saints. Baltimore Ravens, week nine in the Caesar Superdome. Bad news, though. We will not be seeing Michael Thomas in this game, Jeff, or anytime soon. Forever. (laughs) Ever. Um, Yeah, bad news today. You know, I I, I do. I have to own the fact that I went on. I was like, I'm feeling like we might see Mike Thomas this week. And I was, too. I I do think him being back meant that he was, quote unquote, close. Right. And we're going to kind of get into this. But this is what D.A. had to say. This is slightly abridged. But this is what he had to say on Mike Thomas and the decision to put him on injured reserve. Yeah. So, look, uh, I do have one announcement to make. Um, I want to make this clear. We're going to put Michael Thomas on uh, injured reserve today after consultation with the doctors. We, We, you know, we had a plan in place. Uh, we followed what the doctors thought would be the uh, best plan for him. Obviously, the, the the toe did not respond exactly how we were we were hoping. I think everybody uh, from our medical people, from Mike Thomas, I think everybody tried extremely hard to uh, to rehab the the toe, thinking that um, we would be able to get him back. It didn't respond the way that we wanted to. So Michael Thomas is going to go on IR, uh, and he'll have uh, surgery to repair that toe. I think Mike worked his tail off and did everything he possibly could to try to rehab it. Um, this is just something that, you know, that happens from time to time and, you know, it didn't respond the way we wanted to. And so we felt like 
surgery was the was the best option to go ahead and repair it and get him get him healthy. How's Mike sort of just what's kind of been his mindset, I guess? Yeah, look, I mean, I think he's I think he's disappointed uh, because I think you know he put a he put a ton into this to try to get himself back, and he's been an outstanding teammate. He's worked extremely hard to, to rehab it. There's just some things that you don't have any control over, and this is one of those things. Could you elaborate all of, um, about when the complication occurred? Well, I don't know that there was any complication. I think, you know, we followed what the doctors recommended in terms of trying to rehab it and give him an opportunity to play through it. And we went in and had another MRI the other day, and it just hasn't it hadn't healed the way that, you know, everybody kind of was hoping that it would. And so, you know, surgery is the next option. So I know that was kind of long, but I think yeah. all the context is important because for one thing, it's a little confusing because the first thing he came on and said was there was a complication within the medical staff. And then the last thing he said was there wasn't really a complication. And so th- this is kind of a, a, a kind of literal thing where when he's saying complication, he's not saying setback. He is saying that the doctors were incorrect right? Like the doctors told Mike Thomas that they thought he could rehab it without surgery. And if you, if this sounds like a familiar story to you, right. that's Rewind because it is, again. it is almost shot for shot, the same thing that happened with the ankle, right? And the only difference is he never came back and tried to play. And here's the thing. I would not be surprised whatsoever if Mike would have tried to play with this injury. What DA said is this week he had another MRI and it showed that it was not healing the way that they expected it to. And so they're shutting him down. But like, he's a part of this, right? Like, I think Mike Thomas is a guy who doesn't want to have surgery if he doesn't have to. And and this is kind of the result of that is you have lost several weeks trying to rehab it. But at the same time, I don't think that that's necessarily the wrong approach because it's probably season ending one way or the other if you have to have surgery. So I don't know. It's frustrating, but there's people on Twitter going at Mike saying, oh, he just doesn't want to play here and blah, blah, blah. No, he's hurt. Like this is an injury. This is not like him just quitting on the team. You know, it's it's very frustrating for him and for the fans, but that's what it is. Yeah, that's been, I think, the biggest negative about Twitter, social, any social media platform, I guess, on this front is the fact that suddenly now Michael Thomas doesn't want to be a saint. He doesn't want to be here. He's trying to move, make his way out of town. And that's fine and well, but if he wants out of town, he should be playing football to be boosting that trade value. Right. Like, it, it, like he may very well not want to be here. That these Those two things aren't mutually <laughs> exclusive, but... The reason he's not playing isn't because it, that, that has nothing to do with it. He is hurt, you know, and I guarantee you no one is more frustrated about this than Mike, who who went out there and, and told Jeff Duncan to watch him play. And now he doesn't get to watch him play. Right. This guy was working. This guy wants to be out there. So like that take misses, you know, whether he's injury prone, you know, whether he may never have another productive season in the NFL because he's yeah. healthy and his body is letting him down. You know, that is a fair critique. And I think that, you know, the, the more this happens, you, know, you have to start to wonder, right? Like, it, it's tough when you have that really high workload type career and you're also a little older than the average player in this, like, sixth year of his career, right? We, I've talked about this before, and, it, and it's like, it blows my mind every time I say it, but it's true. Michael Thomas is older than Brandon Cooks. Hmm. Yeah, think about that. 
Right, exactly. Like, that, that, that'll not blow a you mind right player. there. And so I think as you get to this point in your career, the problem is there's sunken cost, right? You can't do anything with that contract. So you're just going to have to wait on it. But I think that what this season has shown is the optimism around, wow, we're going to get Mike back and it's going to be a great offense with Mike. I don't know if that's ever going to be the case. Yeah, and the, the whole take two of Thomas not wanting to be a part of the Saints, that didn't look anything to me like the guy that was on the sideline for that win against the Raiders. He was someone that was very engaged with teammates. No, There was no pouting or anything. He was obviously uh, joyous with the, with the results of that game, but just in general, you could see him having a good time with his teammates, and I know that that guy, the way he works – the way he feels about the game of football, there's no way that he does not want to be playing right now. I'm going to stay positive, stay, stay, and have uh, wishful and hopeful thinking that he gets back as fast as he can the right way, um, and whatever it takes for us to get him back the right way. Um, when it comes down to surgeries, you don't wish that on anybody, and especially Mike, who you know he wants to be in every practice, and he treats every practice like it's a game, and in the games he's you know super Mike T, can't guard Mike. Um, you just can't wait for him to, to, to get right, get healthy. Because when he is, he's, you know, top tier. Came in week one and was right back on where we wanted him to be. And I think that's what makes this more frustrating, as you did see in week one. And even in week two, you know, he caught that yeah. touchdown against the Bucks, right? Like, there's the talent is still there. Like, he's still able to do these things. And it's just his body's letting him down. And, you know, foot injuries are tough. Lower body injuries are tough because... You know, it's like you, you got to use your feet. If you don't have your feet, you don't have anything. So it, it's it's frustrating. But you know, you just the the positive thing you can say is we don't have to wonder what the Saints' offense can do without him because we've seen what they can do without him, and it's been pretty effective. So you know, if there's any silver lining from not having him in the offense for basically three years, it's you've learned how to play without him, and you can continue to do that. Hopefully, they can continue to succeed with the players that are out there because you don't have another option. You didn't trade for anybody. There's no one coming. You know, I could see them being active on the waiver wire if someone gets cut, <laughs> Brandon Cooks. But, like, I think that there's still reasons to be optimistic about this offense, even if he's not able to get out there. And one of them got back on the field today. Who was it, Steve? We had Jarvis Landry hey. coming back from an ankle injury. He was limited, but still a positive sign, at least, that he was at least out there on the field. And you know what's amazing is he also hurt that his ankle initially the same game Michael Thomas got banged up against the Carolina Panthers, and it was kind of like a traffic jam of trying to get into the injury template with those two. Yeah, and he did try. He played through it in week four in London, and I think that they, the Saints regretted allowing him to do that. I think Jarvis and Mike are very similar players in that they want to gut through injuries, but in, in certain instances, it is it is detrimental to the long-term health of that body part, and I think his his absence now is probably – longer than it would have been had he just stayed out week four, right? And so that's the that's the risk or word you want to take. But getting him back in the field is big. You know, I, I, he's, just a, he's just a safety net, right? Like, he's a guy you feel so comfortable with throwing the ball and he's going to fight for it. You know, like, I think it, it directly limits Marquez Callaway's role, which I know that Andy's been comfortable throwing to Marquez Callaway, but, you know, there are moments where you're like, okay, you know, if Jarvis was out there and he gets that target, is he popping it up in a Marco Wilson's hands and changing this game right now? You know, like he's he's a guy you trust. He's a guy who you yeah. want to have out there, especially without Mike Thomas. You want to have a veteran wide receiver. And so 
getting him back in that offense with Andy Dalton, who we've really never seen those two work together. I was just about to say that, right? And I'm, I'm excited for that. Those yeah. two veterans getting to work together, who knows what kind of magic they can get going. Yeah, P.J. Williams was also back, so he's going to be coming back off IR. So you're, And full this, right this away. A, yep. Well, he had a quad injury. I think I think there, this was an instance where they needed a roster spot, and they were like, okay, he's going to be out a couple weeks. And they put him on IR because they knew they were getting Alante Taylor back. And, you know, like he probably he probably didn't need to go on IR, and that's why you can come back and be a full participant right away. But it's still good, right? I think the safety depth has been a question, and it's just nice to – see more faces in that room. And I think if you want to be optimistic about a three and five football team, you know, if you want to go bet their plus 500 odds to win the NFC South, you know, those, those, that's the reason you're getting healthy at key spots. You know, Mike Thomas, notwithstanding Mark Ingram, notwithstanding. And yeah, I, I think that, I think that you're going to be more competitive in these games and hopefully you can come out on the right side of them. I think the first team that wins two or three games in a row is going to win this division outright. And and the Saints want to be the team that does that first. Like, whichever team get just gets a couple game lead, that's just going to send a team like the Falcons into the sewer, the Panthers into the sewer, and the Bucks spiraling because they can't get it figured out. Like, and if, yeah, so if the Saints are able to do that, I like, think that this Saints team is in a pretty good position still to take the crown in this division. I, I it's, just, it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. But it's a, it's the truth. Yeah, and I think that. You know, obviously, you still have some key matchups within the division that you're going to have to take care of. But this Monday night, obviously, another big game with the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to be talking to Kevin Allstriker from Locked On Ravens coming up shortly. And, you know, it's those a big game situation in the Superdome that hopefully they can start building that momentum because, yeah, last week was great against the Raiders, but can they do it again? Now, speaking of building momentum, a guy who has built significant momentum in the last few weeks, Cesar Ruiz. We talked about him on the last podcast. We were able to talk to him in the locker room today. And one of the things that we, we you mentioned to me last week was your question was, I wonder if he hears all this stuff on social media, all of this kind of social media furor around him. And, you know, he, he, he admitted that in his rookie season, he definitely heard it, right? It was all love when he came in and then he started struggling and it turned uh, loud the opposite direction. And, and he admitted he let it get to him a little bit. But then what he said is last year, about midway through the season, he just shut it all down. Like, I don't think he necessarily deleted the accounts, but he probably deleted the apps off his phone. And he just stopped using social media. And I think that's interesting because I think that, you know, the last year, year, year plus has been a very significant time for him in terms of getting that development and just kind of focusing in on his job. And this is what he had to say about that today. Um, I was already, I wasn't really on it that much. And I was like, you know what? Just focus on ball, man. Just focus on ball. Don't get distracted. Don't, you know, don't, don't get distracted about too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you have to, at the end of the day, you know, everybody, they want you to be, they want you to be great. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're reading this stuff, it's like, yo, everybody expects you to be really good. So it's like, hey, just, you know what the expectation is. Don't worry about it. Don't read it. Just fix it. You know what I'm saying? Make it happen. So, yeah, I mean, I think that answers your question. Yeah, and I, I don't blame him one bit, but I wonder if, do you have your friends and family going, did you see what so-and-so said about you? Yeah, they send him a text. <laughs> like a like like humans. Social media is just a cesspool. I, if I was an athlete, I would not be on social media outside of marketing, right? Like Drew Brees, for example, right. like he's his social media presence was active. I don't think he spent one iota of time 
like going through Twitter, right? Like people would interact with him and they would reply to him. He's not reading that guys. Like he might be now he has a lot more free time, but like, I think that if you are an athlete and you are spending more than the minimum amount of time, like reading people, like bashing you on the internet, like, unless you're doing it for motivation, which I, I can understand. You know, I think that's what, how Mike T uses Twitter is like, he wants, he wants to get mad because it motivates him to work harder. Unless you're using it for that, just cut it off because it's not good. For you. Yeah. And what Ruiz said, you know, just focusing on ball. It made me think about what Joe Burrow said earlier this year. He basically did the same thing, shut down all social media and just wanted to focus on football. Yeah. I think Kirk Cousins did that too. He went to like double silent ninja mode, which whatever that means, because Kirk Cousins is always the exact same, no matter what he does. But yeah, now, and uh, the other thing that Caesar, you know, talked about is, you know, he feels like the continuity in the offensive line, this is something we talked about as well. Like the continuity in the offensive line helps a lot. Like he pointed out and it's true. The five offensive linemen that were supposed to start the season last year, they played five snaps together. That's it. Yeah. All I felt year. like a lot, a lot of what he said today, we had talked about last podcast, which was kind of funny. Well, right. Because it's true. You know, it's like, it, it's not that hard to intuit. It's like, you just have to kind of give a guy a chance. And I, but I think that like that answer was interesting to me that he shut it all down because it's a very mature thing to do. Right. Like, I think that there's a, there's a point when you get to the NFL that, you know, there, there's a maturity test and I don't think everyone passes it. Right. Like you have sure. to be able to be a professional. There's no college program holding your hand. It's on you to do the film study. It's on you to take care of your body and to make sure you are doing the work. And that's what he has done. And, you know, I, I think that's pretty impressive. The other thing that he mentioned is he gained a good bit of weight from year two to year three. And he had already put on some weight from year one to year two. And he said it wasn't like a it wasn't like necessarily like him being too small and getting blown off the ball. But it was like a, you know, and it also just wasn't an accident. Like he didn't eat too many Big Macs and, and gain weight. But like it, it is something that's helped him. And he has gained like functional weight. He came in as a rookie. I believe he was about 315, no, 307, like 310. Last year, he was up to about 315, 317. This year, he's about 324. And so it's just like, it's good. Just an example of like, that's literally development of your, of his own like physique, right? Like he's getting a little stronger, a little more comfortable, a little more confident. And that's what you've seen. And here, here's what he had to say about some of that continuity uh, when I asked him today. You know, last year, obviously, there was a lot of just disconnected play within the O-line. Like Eric missed five games and Ryan missed however many games, you know? Is kind of getting just that continuity of that group helpful in terms of just, you know, you're trying to kind of tick your way up and, and these guys are there next to you. Yeah, it's definitely good. Um, having all our, uh, we've, I've been able to play with Ram and Eric um, whole season. Um, last year was not the case. Um, the five that we had last year, um, we only played five snaps together. So, you know what I'm saying? We're just, you know what I'm saying? That's part of football, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, line. So, you start to build that chemistry with a whole bunch of people. But having, like, you know, Ram with Ram, obviously, everybody, Ram has so much stuff that he's great at. Ram's been doing this for a while. So, you know what I'm saying? Me and Ram have that, you know, connection. Like, we just understand, we understand each other. So, uh, and having Eric, you know, nobody can do what Eric does. Like, Eric, nobody else can do that. You know what I'm saying? So, having Eric there, being able to make all the calls and just be so sharp on everything, it's just like, it makes things a lot easier for us. Is it, is it like you can like anticipate each other and you like know what one person, like their tendencies in certain situations? That's what yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, like with me and like with Ram, me, Ram, and Eric, like, I can do something with Ram. I don't have to say anything. We just know. I can do something with Eric. We don't have to say anything. We just know. You know. I think that last part is probably the most significant thing. It's like you can have five very talented offensive linemen. If they're not working as a group, 
they're going to fail, you know? And, and so like, I think that the ability to just have that group and let them kind of learn, it's like, they are much better as a five person tandem than the sum of like their parts, than the individual talent levels of everybody on that, in that group. And so I think that's more than anything, that is what has allowed this, this offensive line to flourish this season. And along those lines with the offensive line, we're seeing, I feel like, more and more and more of Trevor Penning walking around. Mm -hmm. uh, we know we got an update on him from uh, Dennis Allen recently saying that he's starting to do work on the treadmill. And he's still got a little bit of, you know, he's not walking completely 100% uh, yet, but is definitely on the right track to come back in a few weeks. Yeah, you can see a little hitch in his giddy up, but, you know, he's moving around like he's not he's not hiding He's a big dude. I forgot how big he is. Like that dude is huge. Yeah, impossible to miss, right? I mean, like I, I genuinely forgot. And then he was walking in the locker room. And I was just like this mountain of a man. <laughs> the shadow comes over you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But uh, no, it, like it'll be good to see him back out there. Like again, as we talked about, you know, I think it's going to be important to get him out there for practice before, like even like maybe even not the week that he plays. He makes his right. return because you want to get to that fitness back, but he does look, you know, he does, he looks like he's been staying in shape. So that's a good thing. And yeah, so that's some other, some other positive injury news. Obviously it's like, you know, you got Alante Taylor. We're still waiting on Marshawn Lattimore. Obviously Mark Ingram is still out hurt. It'll be interesting to see if he goes on IR to free up another roster spot. I'm also curious to see if they bring up Jordan Howard from the practice squad. Maybe they elevate him rather than sign him. But yeah, I think this is a team that that is tracking in the right direction. And we're going to talk to, uh, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Lockdown Ravens, managing editor of Ravens Wire, because I think that's another team that's that's tracking in the right direction because this is going to be a really interesting matchup because whichever team wins it, I think is going to really announce themselves as a legitimate threat in their respective conference. Yeah, and the Saints we saw put up that amazing showing against a lackluster Raiders team. Yeah, they had some weapons there, but definitely impressive to not even let a guy like Derek Carr running the offense, get over the 50-yard line, and hopefully that defense can show up again and have that same kind of that fire, that passion. You definitely saw that a lot more last game. And they're going to have to contain Lamar Jackson to do it, and that's a lot easier said than done. That's going to wrap it up for this segment of Inside Black and Gold. Again, we're going to come back with Kevin Ostrich, who's going to give us the lowdown on the Baltimore Ravens. You're listening to Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Jeff Nowak, alongside Steve Geller. Stick around. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. My name is Jeff Nowak, alongside... Steve Geller, thanks for joining us. As always, remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And as we mentioned in the opening segment, we're being joined by a guest that can help us break down what the Saints will be expecting in the Baltimore Ravens. He's the host of Locked on Ravens and the managing editor for Ravens Wire is Kevin Ostriker. How are you doing today, man? Um, I'm doing well. I know we're, we're both kind of reeling about wide receiver news, or I know we're going to talk about it, but hey, it's Monday Night Football, it's Saints, Ravens, and I'm personally really excited for it. Are you going to be heading into town for uh, to New Orleans for this? No, unfortunately not. I wasn't able to make it work, but I was in New Orleans for the Super Bowl when the Ravens played back in 2013, and I, I love my time in the city there. It was really cool, and the Ravens won, so that was a bonus. <laughs> we remember that well because the power went out. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. I was, I was on the side of the field where the power was on. So I could see where the power, maybe Beyonce did it. Maybe someone who know who knows what the reason was. Ray Lewis though, has his theories about what happened though. Oh, does he? Whatever. Yeah, he, he, you see, he said, I, I think it was the, uh, the Super Bowl documentary. He said, you're a billion dollar industry and the lights go out in the biggest game of the year. That can't be a coincidence or something like that. I don't think that was an exact quote, but I don't know what happened, but the Ravens won, although they got out, what was it, like a 28 to seven lead in the early third quarter and the, the 49ers come storming back, but the Ravens won. And so now two and zero in Super Bowls for Baltimore. So I will say that if you've ever lived in the city, you, and dealt with energy, you, you want, you, yeah. you believe completely that they could have just, screwed up the power grid in that moment uh there's also a kind of a funny promo that they play before the saints games where some guy goes to like a power breaker and <laughs> turns it on which is like them saying like oh get the energy up but i'm just that might also just be the breaker that someone turned off when the power went out but yeah i mean there's been a lot of interesting raven saints moments the one that comes to mind most vividly is the justin tucker missed pat and he just has that like that clip of him just with the craziest look in his eyes. Like he can't believe what just happened to him. And it's like, yeah, I, I can't believe it either. I remember watching that game live. Like, did that just happen? I remember, um, yeah, I remember exactly yeah. where I was. And he, he looked like me when he missed the extra point. Cause there, he's missed like, I, I'm not right. Yeah. It anyway. wasn't the exact, I don't know the exact number, but I think he has missed single digit extra points. And it might be five or six or something like very little. And so in that moment, after the Ravens tie the game, it's like, Oh, this is going overtime. This is going to be great. And then he, you know, does the most uncharacteristic Justin Tucker thing ever. But he has said actually an interesting point that it is actually harder now to kick inside M&T bank stadium because of the way the winds go in and out and the way this, this new scoreboards they've installed over the past couple of years work. So he actually does believe it's hard to kick at M&T bank stadium, which I actually think, makes his, his accomplishments even that much more impressive well you know the the saints and the ravens are also inextricably linked at the at the kicker position because the reason the saints have will lots is because justin tucker exists the you know it was a good find by john harbaugh again obviously because he's still in town but let's talk about some more pertinent things now you know obviously the saints saints fans are reeling from the michael thomas news but, you know, they might feel better knowing that Ravens fans are feeling the exact same way. What, what's going on with Rashad Bateman these days? Yeah, super unfortunate news for Baltimore coming down on Thursday as John Harbaugh did announce that Bateman has decided, you know, he talked it over with his family and everybody that he's going to have surgery for a Liz Frank injury. And those are always really tough, really complicated. Marquise Brown had one when the Ravens drafted him in 2019 and he had screws in his foot and everything. But he's been out for a couple. He actually returned for Tampa in week eight, but wasn't able to finish out the game and it is it's a loss for them he's effectively their number one wide receiver they don't go out and acquire somebody at the deadline so they now move forward with Devin DuVernay who has played well admittedly he's been really really good for them this year but he is now their number one other guys include James Perchet, Demarcus Robinson, Tylen Wiles feels like Deshaun Jackson's gonna get either the call up to the active roster permanently or for this week to play the Saints on Monday night Andy Isabella's on their practice squad so Bateman is a, a pretty big loss Maybe the Ravens call about Odell Beckham. Maybe Will Fuller comes to town. But for now, it is a lot of inexperience in that wide receiver room. But, you know, I've been impressed with DuVernay and the fact also that in reality, the pass offense doesn't run through the wide receivers anyway. It runs through the tight ends. It's Mark Andrews. It's Isaiah Likely. So in hindsight, it's like, OK, well, you, I thought the Baltimore should have gone out there and gotten a wide receiver in the offseason. They bring in only Demarcus Robinson. I thought they should have traded for one at the deadline. 
because of this situation where everybody has to move up a rung on the ladder now that Bateman is out. And so if let's say, you know, Devin Duvernay goes down, which I think now is absolutely worst case, you have to move everybody up again. And then it becomes who is your number is Deshaun Jackson, your number one wide receiver at that point. So it becomes a bit of an issue, but Bateman's super talented. He has been a bit injury prone over the first couple of years of his career, but through week eight was actually the third leading wide receiver in yards per catch with 19. So he's a big play threat, but only 15 catches total on the year. So speedy recovery for him. And he said that he'll see everybody next year. And I, I hope it'll be a big bounce back. I know two big uh, pieces to that offense two appearing on the injury report in uh, Mark Andrews and also Gus Edwards. What are you expecting their status to be for this Monday night matchup in New Orleans? Yeah, it can be so hard, especially like Monday night. You have the injury report starting on Thursday instead of yeah. Wednesday. So I think it'll be, it'll be big for them tomorrow. If Andrews is able to get in a limited practice at least, I feel like that would be very good. Maybe what we'll see is did not practice, did not practice limited. I would think that for Edwards, he will be potentially okay to play. John Harbaugh said it's not super serious, but if he were to miss maybe sometime, it would be this week against the Saints. So definitely iffy for both of those guys. If they're not able to go, we're going to see Isaiah likely a ton in that offense, much like we saw in Tampa Bay in week eight. And then if, if Edwards can't go, it'll be Kenyon Drake and, and Justice Hill kind of carrying that workload, maybe some Mike Davis sprinkled in there too. So it's a little early to tell definitely, especially with, you know, a Monday night game happening. But if either one of those guys is able to log at least limited practice in the next two days on Friday or Saturday, I think that we'll have some more clarity on it. But if, if it's did not practice all the way through, I think they'd be pretty cautious because that's what they've been all year with their guys. Yeah, and obviously that Monday start gives you an extra day to get to get better. So that that's always helpful. Just kind of backtracking a bit, you know, you mentioned Devin Duvernay, and I think he's on the verge of being a star receiver that people know about, but he's just he's not quite there yet. I know about him pretty well because my fantasy draft, he had he had these crazy high projections and I could not figure them out. But like I took him as a flyer in like the 15th round because no one was touching him. And he's been great. I mean, and and I think what Saints fans are gonna be interested to kind of learn about is like He's not just your stereotypical, like, okay, deep threat. Like, he's being worked into the offense in a lot of interesting ways. I think he ran for a touchdown on an end around last week, or at least I think it was an end around. I know he ran for it. I'm pretty sure he's the only player in the NFL that has returned to kick for a touchdown this year, uh, or at least he was going into last week. So, you know, what, what does he do well? And, you know, what should, where does he stress the defense most? You know, I know a lot of people when they first look at Devin DuVernay, they see the receiving, they see the rushing, and they think, oh, gadget guy. But he, yeah. he's more than a gadget guy. He can't he can do that stuff and he's good at it. You know, he did have the rushing touchdown last week, one of the best returners in the NFL. But he is a very good wide receiver. He has shown a lot of improvement this year in terms of contested catchability, playing a lot bigger than his size indicates. He's gone up for multiple toe tapping touchdowns in the end zone, which have been incredible. He's also a deep threat too, has speed to him, and he was a player in the 2020 draft that some people or I think most people had him pegged as maybe a late fourth early fifth maybe early sixth round guys in some cases he was taken at the end of the third round by the Ravens they really really liked him and this is exactly what they were envisioning when they decided not to go out there and acquire a star wide receiver only bring in Marcus Robinson they put trust in the young guys and this is exactly what they wanted to see Devin DuVernay has ascended this year 
And he's somebody who can stress a defense in multiple. I mentioned the deep threat ability. He also is able to get underneath and work underneath. But Baltimore likes to put him in motion a lot, too. They like to use him in, in decoy deception roles where you have to respect his ability with the ball because he has been so good this year in terms of those big plays where sometimes they'll motion him in front of Lamar Jackson and they'll do some RPO action together where Lamar Jackson will take the ball at the middle. And that play has been like an automatic first down. Or t- I know people talk about the Taysom Hill power, but, you know, being automatic. But the, the, the up the middle Lamar Jackson run is also automatic. So two automatic plays going head to head on Monday night. But I'm really impressed with Duvernay so far. And if he wasn't producing the way he was, Baltimore would be in a much bigger heap of trouble at wide receiver than they are right now. So credit to him for being able to elevate his game in his third season. And I think a lot of people now want to see maybe an extension getting him now when he is still, let's say, relatively cheap. You know, I think he's only going to continue to ascend. Baltimore has been able to get some guys under contract before they hit the open market on very team-friendly deals. It also helped the player out, too. And I think that's another guy who you could see that happen with. You know, you mentioned in getting guys under contract. Obviously, they didn't get Lamar, a deal done with Lamar Jackson. But what in the world happened the other night? I saw something where Chris Jericho of the AE, at an <laughs> AEW event calling out Lamar on the mat what's going on there yeah Lamar was, Lamar was a big wrestling fan growing up and I know that he, he's been very in tune with that and he posted on Instagram you know he him meeting a lot of legends from the wrestling world and so he he, he talked about it during uh, Thursday's media availability where he said at first he didn't hear what Chris Jericho said and then he, he realized and he said you know oh this man is crazy but it, you know they, they met and everything and it, it, it was a really cool moment for him I'm sure and also for the guys you know on the mat it was something that is, is a part of him as the big wrestling growing up background. And it was it was funny to see, especially that clip kind of go viral on Twitter on Wednesday night because, you know, he was just out enjoying himself and he gets the, lo- the little call out on the mat from Chris Jericho, which is funny. We're talking to Kevin Ostriker, host of Lockdown Ravens, managing editor for Ravens Wire. And, you know, something that we see in the NFL week in, week out now is coaches who either are just all in on analytics and just do whatever they tell them or like, you know, to make these kind of strange decisions that at the end, you know, you're going to get the explanation. Well, the analytics said go. And, you know, I haven't been able to watch a ton of Ravens games this year, but in the ones I have watched, it seems like John Harpo is one of those guys. You know, there's times where it's like, oh, why didn't they kick the field goal? Why did they go for two? You know, is that something that has kind of developed over the last few years with him and the Ravens specifically? It has. It has. They have been very analytics based over the last couple of seasons. You can go back to last year where the Ravens on that six game losing streak, they had multiple opportunities to tie the game with an extra point after scoring a touchdown to what you would have think tie the game late, but they were down by a point. Instead of tying it, they go for two and they were just never successful losing games by one point, losing games by two points when they could have kicked a field goal in the second quarter, but instead they go for it. And it was a big contention point against a team like the Bills in week four, where they had an opportunity to kick a field goal, go up by three with right around three, four minutes left. They decided to go for it. They don't get it. The Bills drive down the field and they win by a field goal. And so I think for the Ravens, it's about trust in the offense. I mean, when you have Justin Tucker, there's no, there's no like non-trust factor in your kicker situation. You have the best kicker of all time, in my opinion, on that sideline. So to keep him out, you know, Lamar Jackson's a very competitive player, very passionate player. And we've seen him multiple times kind of shoe off Justin Tucker and shoe off the special <laughs> teams unit and say, no, I, I've got this. I mean, the most memorable one of those comes back in 2019 against Seattle, where he pretty much talks to John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh says, hey, Lamar, you want to go for it? And he says, you know, yeah, let's go for it. And the team goes out there, they score a touchdown, and that ends up propelling him to a win. It was the revenge game for 
Earl Thomas, which is another story in itself. But I think for what Baltimore has, they trust each other. They're never going to let anybody on the outside tell them what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. And so I think that the head coach quarterback bond that Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh have is real. But in some of those situations, I know me personally and others, some people just want to say, take the points. You know, you can take the points, especially earlier in the game. We've seen it pay off for him. We've also seen it not pay off for him. More recently, it has been in the not pay off category. So when the Ravens get a fourth and one at like the Saints – 45 yard line don't be surprised if john harbaugh goes for it on right Monday and that's, night. that's I, why i, I bring it up shocked. because like there's going to be moments in this game where fans in the stands are like wait what you know yeah. it there's they're they're sitting in field goal range and they're not kicking it because it's like not the analytics they go and it's i think that does put pressure on a defense because it, it you can't like just let up like you have to go all the way through fourth down like you can't just say oh well okay they're gonna kick the extra point here and so I think it does add pressure but when it doesn't work those moments get amplified especially when it loses you a game and I, I do think it's like you have to be a very a coach that is very secure feeling in your job to do something like go for two instead of tying a game and, and I, th- I think Josh McDaniels did it this year and I'm like I don't know if Josh McDaniels is that secure in his job and he should be doing that. Like John Harbaugh, you know, it's like if he wants to leave, he'll leave like Sean Payton did. But John Harbaugh is not getting canned. So I think it makes it a little easier. But I just think it's funny. No, and it's interesting because I wonder how many of these coaches when they're in those situations think to themselves on third down, well, this is four down territory anyway. So it'll change up the play calling for them to say, hey, even if even if we get four yards on third and six, we're still going for it on fourth and two in this situation. Maybe the Saints 35 yard line. So I'm interested to know about that because it might even the analytics based opinions and analytics based mindset might change how offenses call their games if they think it's four down territory from a certain yard marker on. Looking at the Ravens at the trade deadline, they were one of the active teams in that frenzy of uh, deals getting done on the deadline day. How surprised were you, though, that it was for a linebacker in Roquan Smith instead of adding like a wide receiver to this team? Yeah, I, I think. In terms of surprise level, inside linebacker was one under a position that I had floated in multiple different situations. I didn't think it was the top priority or what the Ravens were ultimately going to get, but I, I saw a deal for maybe an inside linebacker. Now, I thought that Roquan Smith and the price tag contract-wise maybe would have been a bit too steep because we all know that that is an impending situation with him being a free agent at the end of the season, but I'm very pleasantly surprised Baltimore and out there, and they made this move. Smith is one of the best at his position, great in coverage, pursuit, sacks at his position as well. I mean, a two-time Pro Bowl, or All-Pro, excuse me, at 25 years old, it's not, nothing to scoff at. He is, a, he is somewhat of a high-risk, high-reward player, but the risk that he takes sometimes pay off in, in a massive way. And the Ravens acquired someone similar to that in Marcus Peters back in 2019, who was also known as a high-risk, high-reward player. But he's panned out very well in Baltimore. And I think him playing next to Patrick Queen, playing on a defense, just beginning to find its stride, is going to be great. But the big question now is, is this a rental? Is it just a half-a-season thing? Or is this going to be a long-term extension? Roquan Smith does not have an agent, much like Lamar Jackson does not have an agent. So those are going to be two situations they'll have to monitor and figure out. What does it mean for Patrick Queen and his future? Do they pay both guys? Do they let one walk? I know there's been stuff about people are saying, oh, you got to pick one. You got to pick Lamar. You got to pick Roquan. I don't necessarily see it that way, but I think that at the same time, giving up a second round pick is not something that Baltimore does just on a whim. It's a big deal for them to make that kind of move where they're giving up that high draft capital. So they believe in their defense. They believe in Roquan Smith. And I think the move signals that 
they do have Super Bowl aspirations this year. Not that they did in the beginning of the year, but they still have those. But not trading for a wide receiver after it, I think, was a little bit shocking to me. I still thought maybe they could have parted with a conditional late round pick for maybe a Kendrick Bourne, maybe a Nelson Aguilar, more a Marvin Jones. But after seeing Chase Claypool go for a second, I have no idea what that market was. Right. Wide receivers are expensive. They're, yeah. they're expensive to sign. They're expensive to trade for. You know, you did mention Marcus Peters. and We talked about some of these Saints connections with the Ravens. And I, I do feel obligated to point out that Marcus Peters was the player in coverage on Michael Thomas's 72-yard touchdown when he did the cell phone celebration. Uh, so the Saints and him go way back. He and Sean Payton have had, had it out, uh, I think, that season as well. That was back with the Rams. But, you know, it's it's always fun to see familiar faces come back to town. How has he looked kind of in that defense this year? He, he's looked great. He had the ACL injury in 2021, missed the whole right. season. The Ravens defense felt it. He, he's one of their biggest high turnover players, high impact players. And he just, he makes the game better for the defense when he's out there. He had a couple weeks of snap counts kind of settling back in, but I call him one of the saviors of the Baltimore defense. The Ravens defense was giving up a lot of big plays early on in the season. People look back to the Dolphins game in week two, where they blew the 21 point lead. It was 40 yard touchdown after 60 yard touchdown. And they just couldn't two it through for six touchdowns, like five, hundred some yards that game but peters has come in and really stabilized the secondary him and marlon humphrey are looking back to the fruit punch duo as they call them you know you got juice man and fruit punch over there so it's it's been really really great to see marcus peters back in the fold and someone who means so much both on the field and off to that defense he's he's been a big part i think of why the defense has turned around and been as good as they've been over this past month or so that wraps up this segment of inside black and gold going to be coming back with more steve geller and jeff nowak joined by kevin allstriker breaking down more of this ravens versus saints monday night matchup in the caesar superdome First of all, there's mobile quarterbacks, and then there's Lamar Jackson. I think you put him in a different bracket. You could probably say Jalen is probably is similarly as fast, but you're not going to meet too many quarterbacks that run like like Lamar does. Um, I'd say that because what didn't he break all Mike Vick's records? You know, if you, you look at what he's able to do in the air, on the ground. Um, you know, if he if black and purple doesn't pay him, black and gold will. You know, like um, that's not a midseason pitch. That's just. I'm just saying, um, I think that, you know, he's explosive and everything he does. I mean, there's a reason why he was NFL MVP. Back here on Inside Black and Gold, my name is Jeff Nowak, alongside Steve Gellin, joined by host of Lockdown Ravens and managing editor for Ravenswire, Kevin Ostreicher. That was Cam Jordan. Maybe a little bit of campering going on with uh, with some of that. But, you know, he, he did bring up what I think is a good point, which is like, we talk about mobile quarterbacks as if it's this kind of catch-all term. But, like... Lamar is different. Like <laughs> Lamar just does it different. You know, it's impossible. Like the Saints brought in Brett Hundley, a guy who's familiar with the Ravens. You know, they have Mark Ingram as well, who I think can give them some insight into that offense. And the point of bringing in Brett Hundley, Dennis Allen told us, was they went, wanted to have a scout team quarterback that could quote unquote simulate Lamar. But, you know, we all know that like you can't simulate that. Like he is that unique. You know, what does make him so difficult to defend in that in that offense. Yeah, there's no simulating Lamar Jackson. And I think part of it is because the Ravens have built their offense for him. When they drafted him back in 2018, they understood that they, this would be a project to be able to get the right coaching staff, the right personnel around him to tailor to his skill set specifically 
which, you know, when you're talking about traditional pocket passer, stay in the pocket, he's different and he's different in a, an extremely good way. He has grown so much as a passer over the course of his four plus seasons in the NFL. We've seen the deep ball accuracy improve still a bit spotty, but it has improved. We've seen the decision-making improve and we've seen a couple not so great ones, but we've seen him also just be smarter on the football field. We've seen him take the check downs, but we've also seen the accuracy improve as well. Where look coming out of college, there were certainly some things he had to improve on. He wasn't a perfect player and it, it became a lot of, Oh, well he should play running back or he should play wide receiver, which for a talent as good, as good as Lamar Jackson is, is very disrespectful in a lot of different ways but i think now what you have is a is a talent that can do so many different things to put stress on a defense you have to account for him with his arm because he's grown in that category but the fact of the matter is his legs are still as big of a, as a threat even more of a threat because he's grown in that area too baltimore has also put an offensive line around him a very good offensive line lamar jackson is a very good pocket passer i know some people don't believe that i don't know how people don't believe that because the stats are there but part of it is the re- is the reason that he is a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable when he is not getting pressured. I mean, last year the Ravens had Alejandro Villanueva at left tackle, and that just did not go well whatsoever. It was getting pressured every single time he dropped back, and it ended up resulting in a season-ending injury for him when he ended up having a bone bruise in his ankle. So now we've seen the improvements. He has done a big body transformation where he's put on a ton of muscle, and he just, he he looks a lot cooler, calm, and collected. Now I will say the first three weeks. We saw him in that MVP conversation. He was slicing and dicing defenses up. Before the Tampa game, though, those last four weeks, we definitely did see a drop-off in play by him. Against Cleveland, he only had nine completions, 16 attempts total. But then I think we saw the first half Buccaneers offense. The Ravens were really trying to spread the Bucs out because their their secondary is decimated right now. They, They were trying to spread them out, figure out if they could pass the football. It didn't work. So they adjusted in the second half. They went to more of a ground heavy approach with the sprinkle of the pass offense in there, especially without Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. And it worked. And it's given a lot of people confidence here because I think Lamar Jackson in that offense, a more balanced one, obviously, is is a threat to do so many different things. So I think for him, being able to have that connection with Devin DuVernay. When Mark Andrews comes back, have that too. It's all super important because he's such a great thrower and he's such a great runner. Looking at this Baltimore defense, it always seems to be a strength of the team. Getting those takeaways has been so big for them this year. And that's been a big an Achilles heel, I guess, of the Saints squad uh, this season, both giving away the football and not being able to take it away. And a guy that went over there and Marcus Williams, I know, started out hot but then ended up injured. How's his progress going and just the overall reactions to his presence in Baltimore? Yeah, it's it's super unfortunate. We're not going to see the Marcus Williams show uh, come to new Orleans on Monday night, but partially because he was playing so well for the Ravens when they signed him to a five year, $70 million contract. A lot of people didn't think the Ravens would shell out that money to a safety, especially after what happened with Earl Thomas a couple of years ago, where it almost seemed rushed. The fit wasn't there from a personality perspective on the field. It was great. He was a, he was a great player on the field for them, but off the field, it was just an absolute disaster. But Marcus Williams off the field is an absolute pleasure and he's someone who has, has bought in to Baltimore. And over those first couple of weeks, you know, I had three interceptions through, I think, six quarters or something. He, he was unbelievable making crazy toe taps. He, he had a, he picked off a pass when he was on the ground. So he, he's a big playmaker. And I think for Baltimore, 
adding him to a room with rookie Kyle Hamilton and Chuck Clark in there too was one of their biggest strengths. Now he goes down, you got to rely on a couple other people. In terms of his progress, he ended up dislocating his wrist, I believe the injury was, and actually played through it for, I think, a quarter or two. I think he dislocated it on the first play of the game a couple weeks ago, and I think he ended up leaving the game at halftime. So he toughed it out, made a couple tackles, but he's someone who isn't going to be back for this one, obviously still on injured reserve, but should be back before the season is over, according to John Harbaugh. So if Baltimore is able to rattle off some wins here, they could get even more reinforcements on that defense. I do always think it's funny when there's the Saints have it with Ohio State, where if a player went to Ohio State and you feel comfortable with that kind of evaluation, you're bringing them in. I feel like the the Saints are the Ohio State of the Ravens, where like <laughs> if there's a guy in a free agency and they need a guy at that position, we're like, okay, Willie Sneed, come on down. You know, Mark Ingram, come on down. Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, the, the list goes on. And I do think it's it's interesting because there's clearly, you know, it's it's not a coincidence at a certain point. It's like there's a team that feels like the culture and the and the the development in an organization is good and they wanna and they wanna build off that. That's just an aside for me. But you know, it it, it is kind of interesting when when you constantly keep getting the same locker room filtering into another one. Or at least I think so. I'm not I'm curious how you feel about that. No, no, it, it, it well, it's funny because the Ravens college program is Alabama and it has been for a while, where obviously right. Eisen Newsom, who was their former general manager, still involved with the team. He has the Alabama connection. So it was always, oh, if there's an Alabama player on the board, Baltimore's gonna like, always watch out for Baltimore. And so it was always they took an Alabama player in this draft with Jalen Armour Davis. But yeah, it, it is funny that sometimes it the cross connections like i know james hurst for baltimore you know yep. now is in new orleans well lots as we talked about so mm-hmm. some of those saints ravens connections actually more common than i think some people might think it is yeah i, I mean i think these two you know obviously sean payton's gone but it was kind of these two long-standing coaches and they they i'm sure they had a, they had a connection there you know but kind of just shifting shifting that a little bit and it's like okay we know about the names that we know about give me a few names whether it's on offense or defense maybe one from each that this is the player that Saints fans don't know about right now, but there's a good chance when they're walking out of the dome, they're like, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, so we'll start with offense. I'm going to give you two for offense, and one is one is in case. So my in-case player is Isaiah Likely. Obviously, mm-hmm. that is in case Mark Andrews does not play in this game. Likely was a fourth rounder out of Coastal Carolina. A lot of people are wondering, you know, just where is his fit on an offense? Because obviously he's a tight end, but he is a receiver. You, you can line him up out wide. You can put him in the slot. He had a breakout game against Tampa with 80, 80 plus yards in a, or maybe it was 70 plus yards in a touchdown, six catches for him. So if Andrews isn't able to go in this one, my, people are thinking, oh, well, Mark Andrews isn't there. They don't have any tight ends. Well, likely, I think, flash. And I know the Saints have been pretty good against tight ends this year in a vacuum but overall likely could be somebody but the one that I would look out for is Patrick Ricard the fullback that nobody really seems to know about and obviously you can think well fullbacks those are like extinct nowadays like what are you talking about but he the Ravens have still long valued that fullback position going back to guys like Leron McLean, Vonta Leach, Kyle Juszczyk before San Francisco and you have now Patrick Ricard who actually converted defensive lineman from Maine a couple years ago and he he does a lot he lines up in line for them he can play and they motion him a ton he also can catch some passes out of the backfield, maybe in the flat. And he's just a do-it-all type player where he is a very important player in their run game. Also in the pass game, can make a couple things happen. He'll drag defenders on his back for like 10 yards here or there sometimes. So that's offense for me. Defensively, I'm going to go defensive line for this one with two guys, Justin Matabike, who has played phenomenal football for them. Third round pick out of Texas A&M 
in 2020, and he is now starting to find his stride. Really improved in run defense. It's a great interior pass rusher. The Ravens trying to maybe monitor, and Clayus Campbell missed the game against Tampa in Week 8, but you got to monitor snaps of the veterans like Clayus Campbell, like Brent Urban. So Matabike has played a much bigger role this year. And then Project Washington, same draft class, although Texas Tech for him, he was a fifth rounder. He is He got his hands on, I think, two or three batted balls on Thursday night against Tampa. He also has solidified himself as a great run defender. So for Baltimore, if they want to stop Alvin Kamara in that offense, in the run offense at least, got to be able to do it up in the trenches and even free up some space for guys like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to shoot those gaps and make those tackles. Now, you mentioned just now, Patrick Queen is a guy, obviously, New Orleans fans know very well here from LSU. How would you say his development's gone since arriving in Baltimore? And also, what were his reactions, basically, to Roquan Smith being added? Yeah, for Queen, he has been, I think, the definition of an up and down player, but we are on a high upswing right now with Patrick Queen. He is playing much more confidently this year. I think he trusts himself. He trusts his teammates a lot more this year. And I think he acknowledges and understands that, look, it's been a kind of a rocky first couple of years for him in Baltimore where the highs have been very high and the lows have been very low. But we're seeing him now diagnose a lot better. I think the game has slowed down. And sometimes it just takes a couple of years to get acclimated. Queen was taken in 2020. So obviously a lot of things were different back then in terms of like the rookies didn't have a mini camp and they had to come in straight up and do stuff like that. So he was a part of that draft class. And so for a player in Queen who – some people peg as more of a not developmental guy, but he definitely needed to have some more playing time under his belt. I think now we're really starting to see those returns with him, and he's turned into a very, very solid player for him. So hopefully that trend can continue. In terms of Roquan Smith, he, he's ecstatic. He said he was ecstatic about the move, said that it's really exciting for him to be able to play off a guy like that, to learn from a player like Roquan Smith. So it doesn't seem like there are any hard feelings whatsoever. It seems like quite the opposite, where he's actually really, really excited to have him as a teammate. Yeah, and we've seen a few players like that with the Saints as well. That slow development, the, the, those COVID years, not having the OTAs, those preseason games, it really hurt the development of a lot of those young players. It did. I mean, the Ravens in that class invested a lot. Guys like Queen, they got J.K. Dobbins in that draft, Matt Abike, Devin Duvernay, Roger Washington, guys we've talked about here today. And for Queen, they even got Malik Harrison out of Ohio State, talking about Ohio State in that draft. So I think for Baltimore, they are now starting to see the returns of that 2020 draft class, where the third year is always kind of big for players regardless. But I think for the 2020 class across the entire, it's not just even Baltimore, across the entire NFL, without having those off-season workouts and the mini camps and the preseason games, it was like taking away an off-season in person with coaches and being able to work on your craft, say, hey, you can do this well, but you need to improve on this. So we're starting to see those returns now which I think is great because the 2020 class I thought had a ton of potential for Baltimore. Now we're starting to really see it. All right. We've been talking to Kevin Ostriker, host of Lockdown Ravens. Go check it out. Go behind enemy lines and research if you will. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go here, but I do, you know, what is your read? You know, cause I think the saints are kind of on that fringe of where the season could go either way. I think the Ravens yeah. are, you know, every team you're five and three or three and five, you're still in it. You know, what is your read on, you know, where where this team is headed, where the Ravens are headed right now, and what what is your kind of prediction for this matchup? Well, I think for where the Ravens are headed for the rest of the season, their schedule actually really softens up now until the end of the season. Now, th this season's been really weird in terms of there just hasn't been a ton of great football played outside of the top, like, two or three teams in each conference. Right. But so, I mean, any, any given Sunday can be an upset, but with Baltimore playing a fourth place schedule this year, because they did finish last in their division last season, they bring in Roquan Smith. They're getting back Tyus Bowser and David Ajabo. It feels like Bowser could suit up here on Monday night, which would be big for him. 
and then also the the return of Marcus Williams. I think that they have the clear path to win the AFC North this season, especially how Joe Burrow looked on Monday night against Cleveland without Jamar Chase. So, you know, I'm sure they're wishing for him to come back soon. And I think for this matchup in particular, I think it's going to be a lot closer than some people anticipate. I have Baltimore winning. I actually thought it was going to be a loss in my preseason predictions, but I just think, you know, with, with no Michael Thomas in this one, some iffy injuries reports for the Saints this week, and the Ravens have some guys down too. But I'm going to say 30 to 24 Ravens in a game that is a little bit higher scoring than maybe some people think, but in a primetime matchup, this will be Baltimore's last of the season, unless there's some flex later in the season that and maybe we will get that. But I think Baltimore wins at 30 to 24 in a game that, again, is closer than some people think it is now i'm conflicted because i have lamar jackson in my two qb league and i'm seven and one i'm feeling really good about it but now it's like oh what's gonna happen right. i'm in i think 10 leagues this year i have i have every player and i play against every player every week that's, that's what it is for me <laughs> you got to figure though lamar's a must start every week though oh 100 100 so i've been terrible in this league every year <laughs> and this probably gets cut from the podcast whatever i've been terrible in this league every year <laughs> And this year, it's a two QB league. And I just was so very much in the late round QB mode. I always want to wait until like the eighth or 10th round. But in in a two QB league, you just got to go get them. Mm -hmm. And so this year, and I always suck in this league. And this year I went second round, I took Joe Burrow. Third round, I took Lamar Jackson. Okay, I'm yeah. seven and one. Yeah, that's so. how we're. I mean, I, for me, I took Patrick Mahomes in like the third round or fourth round in like every league I was because Lamar. I do. I do locked on Ravens league, so a lot of the people in the more Ravens fans. So Lamar goes like number one overall, right. Like yeah, right. First round. So I took and Josh Allen goes like you know second. So I took Mahomes and everybody's like you're taking a quarterback in like the fourth round. Like what are you doing? But he's been great. And it's funny. I, I did a draft for my friend in a two quarterback league, but I didn't realize it was two quarterbacks until it was too late. So I was getting like Tyree kill in the fourth round. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, you know, you have Geno Smith going like the second round and that was even before his breakout. So unfortunately yeah. for him, I ended up getting him Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. So you can imagine how that's going. Yeah. And I can't even brag in my two, I'm looking at my league right now, my two QB league. I've got Aaron Rodgers and currently Tyler Heineke because <laughs> uh, of my horror, my horrible uh, Jameis Winston pick. Yeah. You gotta, uh, you gotta suck it up. My problem is I didn't check the bye weeks and Joe Burrow and Lamar yep, Jackson are yep, both yep. on bye next week. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to start Taysom Hill at quarterback. Oh, my God. I don't even know if you can do that in most leagues. Can you still do that in a lot you of the can, actually. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay. He yeah, is the rare quarterback tight end dual eligibility player. Wow. Yeah, I know there was controversy about that a couple of years ago where he was like right. putting up 20 points every week as a tight end because he was playing quarterback for him. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that was just an aside. I like to, I like to bitch about my fantasy team. Um <laughs> But all right, this has been this has been a great talk. Thanks so much, Kevin. Check out Lockdown Ravens, Ravens Wire. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It was great. And again, looking forward to the game. I think it'll be actually a really good one. Appreciate it, Kevin. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Inside Black and Gold. Kind of weird because we still got a few days to kill before we get into this actual matchup. But hey, you'll have plenty of time to watch LSU lose by 40 points to Alabama on Saturday and not feel bad about staying up late watching it because you don't have a new start. I mean, that's that's my take. I don't think it's going to be a close game, but that's fine. You can yell at me on Twitter later. My name is Jeff Nowak. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak alongside Steve Geller, Steve Geller, WWL. Check out the latest news at WWL.com. Hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Check us out in WWL Sports. Leave a rating, leave a review, do that whole thing, do that whole song and dance. We always do appreciate it. And we'll be hitting you back on Monday after the game. I'm taking LSU in the 13 and a half. 
he'll be wrong. Peace, y'all.